Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Mursaleen Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd Qala Allahu tabaraka wa ta'ala fil Qur'an al-Majid wal Furqan al-Hamid Ya ayyuhal nasu inna khalaqanakum min thakarin wa untha waja'alnakum وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلَ لِتَعَارَفُوا إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ My dear brothers and sisters, our dear friends, we've been watching the last few days, the last, few, the last week or two, with horror, America... American cities going up in flames and looting, rioting, anger against the police. Some of the video footage we found, it seems like it's a country that's been devastated by war, where you've got rows and rows of shops that have been broken into, graffitied, fires uh, being extinguished in different places. You think it's been a war zone. And all of this is because, you know, with some legitimacy, the Black Lives Matter, that whole movement uh, providing a response to the problems of the racism, the inherent racism rather, in the communities there, especially in the various different police forces and so on. Now, for us as Muslims, it's a time of huge reflection and while Muslims are actually suffering this kind of racism in different places, for example, in Myanmar, in the Indian subcontinent, in Palestine, numerous other places, this doesn't mean that, we're, that we may not also be racist at some level. I think that's what's important to understand. Just because some of our fellows and our compatriots, our partners, our people of faith, May, may be suffering racism in some form or the other, it doesn't mean that we ourselves cannot be racist, that we're free of this. And that's what I want to discuss. It's, that's why it's a time of huge reflection for us. Because overtly, many people will say, I'm not racist. There are some people who are overtly racist. They know that and they think they're superior and they put other people down actively. And they don't mind being racist because they feel they're justified in being racist. That's probably a minority of extremists in different ca cases. The majority of people would be more or less dealing with implicit racism, deep-rooted racism, uh, inherent racism, where it's actually an ideology, not an idea in your mind. I mean, you dismiss it as an idea, right? You say, no, I no to racism. But it's actually so inbuilt, right? To give you an example, it's like if somebody is... I, I just spoke to a person interested in Islam yesterday. She had several questions about the faith. And the questions were all about uh, women's position in the faith and uh, husband and wife relationships in terms of the women and, and so on and so forth. And this question of equality. And I, I'm trying to answer the question but it's very difficult to try to answer a question when you can't make them see it from the way Islam wants people to say it, which means from a different paradigm from a there was a 
a reporter that came to our masjid once in America while I was there and he wanted to do a series of interviews and a report on the masjid you know for the readers because we were the only masjid in town so he came for about three weeks and in his report he, re he, he wrote that when I went for the Jumu'ah prayer we went for the Jumu'ah prayer and this was the first time in I don't know how many years he mentioned that I was sitting in an all-male gathering with the women in a different section and he said that sounded that felt really strange to me right it felt very very strange but eventually as I sat there and I thought about it I started seeing it from a different perspective that why should our basically his idea was that I can now see why they do it because the system that we have meaning he's talking about himself you know, that, that provides for things like teenage pregnancies and all that because of the loose system, the liberal system. So if he wasn't able to see it from our perspective, he'd just think that this is complete discrimination, it is subjugation, and so on and so forth. That's why ideologies are very dangerous because they are something which you hold inside without even realizing that you hold it that way. It colors your perspective of the way you see others, the way you interpret things. And you may say, no, I don't do that. I'm not racist, but the racist is, in, is inherent. I'll give you the example of a person from a country. Uh, he, 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 was an, he became an imam in a different country, right? Where there were both whites and black people. He became an imam there and some of the local indigenous people who are dark-skinned, very dark-skinned in fact, they became very close to him and they actually learned his language as well because he used to use one of the Indian languages and essentially they learnt the Indian language. If you go to India, there are dark-skinned people but there's very few African-looking people because that, that's very different. There are dark-skinned people in India, you go South India, there are dark-skinned people like Sri Lanka, the Tamils, uh, Tamil Nadu and other areas but they look very different there's a different darkness right um, not all white people are the same not all dark people are the same so his he, he was actually with the sheikh who came back to visit his hometown his home village he accompanied him he, he basically brought along this indigenous uh, brother from uh, the, the country he was in and they, they were picked up by the, at the airport by some of the villagers who'd come to pick them up from Bombay and as they're on their way home they're just looking at this in, because they've never seen a dark person like this before right now there's a surprise so one of them remarked in the indigenous language how you know he's so black now I don't know how he said it whether it was out of surprise that we've never seen somebody like that before or he said it in a derogatory way or whatever that person could understand the whole conversation uh, he said something like I may be black outside but in the indigenous language he said I'm very white inside and they were totally shocked because a lot of the time they think the person isn't listening or he can't understand so they took them by complete surprise now they may ne never have felt because racism was probably not even something on their radar 
right? Because everybody's the same in that area. So they, they probably don't even understand racism, right? Maybe religious racism, but in terms of color racism, they probably don't understand much of it. Well, they probably do, to be honest. They probably say they're not, but when they said this, it came out. So that's the more difficult aspect to understand that we do have these stereotypes. Now, stereotypes are built up by maybe a few people. From, um, like, for example, one of the stereotypes right now is Muslims are terrorists. Now, we know as Muslims that, I mean, how many times do we have to say this? The overwhelming majority of Muslims are not terrorists. A few are. But because of that, because they're so loud and so boisterous and so bold and they're so aggressive, everybody gets a bad name. Just from that example, we know that stereotypes are not absolute like that. But so many of us, they go on stereotypes. I'll give you another example. How many men have these women jokes that are passed around through WhatsApp and so on about how women are? Some women may be like that, but not necessarily the majority, but they have a laugh about it. Right? Personally, I try to avoid this. I'm not trying to make myself out to be better than anybody else, but I just find it, I just find that it's unjust. I just find it that it's not balanced, it's not right, it's not correct. Because when I see that woman joke, I don't find that to be in my house. I don't find that to be the case with the women I know. Though I can understand that some women may be like that. right? So you have to remember stereotypes. Some may be harmless, maybe. But others are very, very dangerous. Right? Especially if you use them aggressively, especially if that creates hatred in your heart, especially if that leads to acrimony, to enmity, to jealousy, to arrogance. And that's exactly where all of this starts from. That's where racism starts from, especially when it becomes institutionalized. Look, if there's one racist person in a community who's acting racist, everybody's, gonna, everybody's going to call him out or call her out because it's obvious, right? But when it becomes institutionalized, where even your police force, your politicians, right, they, this has been fed to them. Like, for example, I was speaking to a doctor in the UK who's originally from Assam in India. He said, until seven years ago, and because he, he was a doctor, uh, now he's moved here, but he said, until seven years ago, the cultural harmony between Muslims and Hindus was amazing prior to seven years in Assam. There was no problems. But since this new, uh, uh, the, the, this new political party has come in, they've sowed the seed of discord. And now you're getting even the so-called institutions that are supposed to protect from such problems, like the police force, even they have the same thing. Even they've been fed with this same acrimony. So you can see how it starts off small, but then if it's fed, people pick up on it. When you repeat something often enough, and when you're told that you're from a very bad family, and then people give a few examples of some bad apples, you'll actually maybe even start thinking, yeah, maybe you know, my family is bad. That's how they do it with, um, when the son-in-law, when the parents sometimes feed them things about his wife. She's fine with him, no problems, but they don't like her. So they start feeding the son-in-law problems about the wife that he, he's never been thinking about. It was never on the radar. It was not even bothering him. But now they'll bother him because somebody's pointed it out. They'll magnify it. 
Likewise, if the daughter-in-law does the same thing about his parents, who he's never had a problem with, he knows they've got few issues, but then she may magnify it. These are just examples. These are just examples. People do this for colleagues sometimes, to create problems with them. Politicians do it all the time against their foes. But when it's done against a minority or a majority for that matter, I mean, in South Africa, it was actually done against the majority. And then look what it came up to, the apartheid. Everybody recognizes today that it was bad. Right? Everybody recognizes today, looking back at it, that it was bad. Even some of the people that were involved in it in the first place. You know, they might think that, okay, there were some aspects of it which is good. But what's the point of the small benefit due to the, you know, uh, compared to the major harm that's taking place in terms of the enslavement, sectioning people off, depriving them, can't sit on the same table, and so on and so forth. You have to remember racism in particular is a form of a discouragement that is a scourge that comes because, where does it come from? I mean, if you look psychologically, spiritually, why would somebody be racist? Right? Even if everybody around them are racist, why would you be racist? It's because, number one, you haven't concentrated, you haven't focused. Right? You lack certain morals, so you lack kindness. You lack empathy. You lack love. You lack patience, openness. If people had these things, and even if everybody around them was racist, they would know that it's wrong because this is going against the love I'm supposed to have. That person I'm being racist against hasn't done anything wrong to me. That's a whole different scene. Somebody does something wrong to you is a different scene. Somebody aggresses against you, you actually have a right to respond to a certain degree. But this is where they've not done anything, you just hate them for no reason. I mean, I've been struggling with this idea of how to deal with this issue. And I remember one, one solution I found is in a different case scenario where uh, one of the great spiritual scholars of Egypt of the last few hundred years, his name was Imam Sha'rani. And he's got a wonderful book called Adab al-Suhbah, right? The etiquette of companionship with people. Like what kind of rights should we ful fulfill for people that we meet and interact with or we befriend or we just see? You know, what's our responsibility towards them? And he said something very interesting. <clears throat> he said that sometimes you may feel in your heart that you just don't like someone. Right? And I'm sure everybody can <clears throat> relate to this That sometimes there's somebody And for no reason, for no reason You can't think, you just don't like the guy Sometimes it's because maybe they speak too loudly Or maybe it's their colour choice of their clothing Maybe it's because of, they've not aggressed against you They're harmless in that sense But you just don't like them Now, nobody's telling you that you must befriend them And you must go out with them And you must visit their house Nobody's telling you to do that I mean, if there's no relationship There's no kinship between you There's no obligation But how do you remove the Sometimes shaitan can magnify this in your heart So you actually hate the person Like they start irritating you so much Even though they don't mean to irritate you Now I know some people can be very irritating Because of some really weird stuff that they do Basically, he said that the solution to something like this is because at the end of the day, you can't stop the person. You know, he's an independent person. He's not really aggressing against you. They're just irritating you in some way without meaning to irritate you or you're just being irritated. You don't understand why. Then what you do is you pray for them. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to resolve the matter. 
you give them a gift if you can. That should remove some of the acrimony. And you know when you try that sometimes? Subhanallah, there's, you overcome that bias. You overcome that hindrance. You overcome that tension. Because there was no reason for the tension. That's why people need to spiritually awaken themselves, which will help against racism. And number two, if you don't know you're being racist, then you cannot remedy it. That's why it's really one of the most important things is to understand the different forms of racism. Now, I'm not going to use my time here because we've got a short time only on this Friday to discuss that. Because right now, with everything that's going on in the United States, there's numerous editorials, comments, um, articles speaking about various forms of racism. And you can benefit from them in terms of understanding how racism comes about. Right? There's some beautiful assessments of how racism is still so rampant, even though slavery was abolished, you know, maybe nearly a hundred years ago or so, but still it's there. Still black people are subjugated. Now, most of the time, if you take an assessment around the world, it's white people who are racist against black people. I'm not saying all white people are like that, but it tends to be white against black. Even in cases where, subhanAllah, you know how bad it is? You know how bad it is? Even in places where you've got more black people, <clears throat> it's a majority black country, if you want to call it that, of colored people, but blackness is seen as a problem. Even though the majority of people are dark-skinned. And they spend huge amounts of money trying to lighten their skin. And these, com these companies make huge amounts of money for that, from that. So, I'll just mention I was in Sri Lanka about, I think this was two years ago, or maybe, yeah, two, two and a half years ago. And on the billboards, I'm seeing these, uh, uh, you know, the advertisements, they all have, uh, some of you are Sri Lankan, you, you will know that. They have light, fair-skinned advertisements, people with fair skins, like the woman on the advertisement, the man, is all fair-skinned. But when you look around, most people are darker-skinned. You know, their beauty is in the darker skin. You know, beauty is beyond black and white. It just depends on what you're programmed to think sometimes. So here, it's, so I asked the question, I said, why, is, uh, why are the advertisements all in lighter skinned people where it's only a minority that are light? Like, why is it only those people who are models, right, being featured? So, I guess they, I mean, the answer was obvious. I just had asked the rhetoric, like, like a, a, you know, a, a question. And then I, then I went to India, and I see the same problem there. Right? And it's fair and lovely, right? which is for the women. But then I went into the bathroom of the person whose house I was staying at, the male bathroom, right? because that's where I was staying. And he had all of these products there, the children, uh, the, the, uh, the young adults, that fair and handsome. I was like, what is this? Apparently this is the directed at the males now, because they know it's a big industry. What they've done is they've made darkness seem so inferior, so lowly, so bad, such a bad thing to have, that they've, they're basically spending huge amounts of money and putting all of these chemicals on their face to try to change themselves. That's how bad it gets, even in the countries which are majority black. Now, there was a teacher who did a, a study in America, in one of the mid-states, 
she had a class of black and white students. I mean, I find it even difficult to say black and white because it's not really white and it's not really black, right? They're really shades. White people are not completely white and black people are not completely black, right? But, I mean, I guess these are accepted terms, so we're going to use them. But I find that very difficult to use. What she did for a week is that she spoke about the, the virtues of white, the color white, being white, and what white people have done. What the, and then she, got, she garnered and gauged the reactions of the students. The black people felt very small, right? They, pick, they felt oppressed, subjugated, that everybody's watching them, they felt inferior, and so on. It's very psychological. Then after that, I, th I can't remember if it was for one week or two weeks or whatever that time period. Then what, she turned it around. She started mentioning the virtues of being dark. Right? Some of you are thinking like, we've never heard these virtues. I know because we live in a very one-sided world right now. So she started mentioning all the virtues of being dark. There are many virtues being protected. by. There's so many virtues. And what black people in history have done Right? One of the richest men to ever have lived. I mean, this is just my example. I don't know if she provided that example. One of the richest men with the, uh, and one of the generous was Mansa Musa from Timbuktu. Uh, Timbuktu sounds like some kind of backward place that you just mention as a, as a figure of speech or something. Right? But when he went for Hajj, he was literally showering gold upon people. That's how much wealth he had. Right? And subhanAllah, the gauge reaction was that the white people started in, the students started feeling inferior and the black people started feeling superior. So a lot of this is actually conditioned, right? Inherently to say white people are superior to black people is not right. Because when, when you look at the back, you've seen times when others ruled and uh, 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 certain communities of white people were seen as barbarians, like uh, uh, you know, like uh, many in Europe. So, it's that that's where whoever ascends, they need to be very careful about how they portray the others. So, what is racism? I mean, maybe this will be helpful. This is kind of like a definition of racism. So, hopefully, we can benefit from this. Racism covers individual and group pre uh, prejudices and acts of discrimination that results in material and cult cultural advantages for the dominant social group or the majority group. So it's something which ends up with the dominant group or when I say dominant, as I said even in black countries they see white as something great. So when I say the dominant group, what do you mean by dominant? You know, with the aggressing group, they... they receive material and cultural advantages by doing that because obviously you do it for a reason <clears throat> uh, most common people maybe just doing it harm they think harmlessly but they're just helping the major institutions and the major perpetrators it's the belief that some human groups because of their physical appearance or color possess different behavioral traits because they're black or because they're asian or because they're muslim Right? That they're just going to be inferior in some way. Therefore, we can be called superior over the other. The danger of this and why it's so evil, right? if you haven't understood that already, is that, you know, it's just like, you know, jealousy is a human condition. 
Arrogance is a human condition. But where that arrogance or jealousy or whatever it is becomes widespread among everybody, inherent as a deep-seated, rooted ideology, then it becomes institutionalized. Because then the politicians, the police force, the hospitals, the doctors, and so on and so forth, everybody's going to do it. That's why people of color in many countries find it very difficult to ascend the economical ladder. They, there's somebody who did a survey. He sent, he's, a, he's a Muslim guy of Pakistani origin with a Muslim name, sent his CV to, I don't know, 40, 50 different schools, I think, or what, I think it was schools, because he's a teacher. And he hardly got you know, maybe, maybe a few responses. He sent the same CV, but he changed the name to a English-sounding name, whatever that was, Paul Smith or whatever it was, right? Same CV, same accomplishments, everything the same, just name is different. And he started getting responses. So you can tell that the only reason they're doing this is because of the name. Because they feel that a person of this name comes with baggage. What is that if that's not racism? So now you can see how those people will be kept low always. That's why, although it's a spiritual problem, it's a very devastating, very dangerous, very harmful one. And then it comes out that it's going to cause these problems, it's going to cause these reactions. I mean, you see the same thing. I mean, if you look in the history, it's been worse. The Holocaust was something like that, right? That was an outcome of racism. Um, the Aryan race, the superiority of the master race, according to Hitler and so on. I mean, we don't have to go into that. The Rwandan massacre, right? The massacre of the Bosnian Muslims, right? Even though they look exactly the same, Bosnians, Bosniaks, right? as the Serbs, but they're slightly different, and they're Muslim. The colonial European pro projects when they occupied Africa, Asia, Americas, Soviet deportations of its indigenous minorities to Crimea and other places. Then you're having the, ra uh, the, the religiously motivated uh, hatred, right? That leads to violence, for example, against the Rohingyas is done, it's leading to that in the Indian subcontinent against Muslims. So that's why all of this feeds into the corporations, the governments, educational institutions, and so on and so forth. And that gets really, really bad. So be careful the next time you make a joke. I'll give you the example of somebody I know. When he was much younger, this was, I think this took, must have taken place about 25 years ago. It's just still very fresh in my mind. We're sitting down and he, and there's actually, uh, they all, everybody's Muslim. But most of the people are um, Indian. One of the brothers there is a recent African, uh, British African convert. He's born here. I mean, he's born here as a black uh, British individual. This guy makes a black joke. Thinking it's harmless. They were just making jokes. They were all doing jokes. He made a joke, and it was a black joke. And he must have thought it's harmless because there's a black guy sitting there. And immediately the black guy said very nicely that he said, you should stop doing those jokes because it just creates, it supports the whole idea that black people are inferior or they're wild. Because it was really, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a weird joke, right? But he thought it was harmless. He says that from that day on, I don't think he's ever made a joke like that again. He's always thought twice before making a joke. Because he was called out for inherent racism. That Why did he think that was funny? 
Why did he think he could do that innocent in front of others? That's why most of us won't recognize this, even if we've got it, unless somebody points it out. But how many people are going to point out something like that to us? And if we don't correct ourselves, we'll be abusing others without realizing as much prayer as we do, we're going to be sinful. And it's bad for our heart. That person that we've aggressed against, without even realizing, will have a case against us on the Day of Judgment. Let us just quickly look at a few things before we end. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and you know, I believe everybody should recite this surah, the translation at least of this surah, when you finish this. This will be really helping us because I think there are some very pertinent verses with regards to racism in the Quran. First one, I mean, I'm starting with the Quran, going to the Prophet next. Allah says, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ We have honored all the children of Adam. Is a black person not the children of Adam? It actually says that Adam was created from min turab, right? Min salsalin kal fakhar, as Allah mentions in the Quran. The tafsirs there explain that Allah had an angel go and pick up the soil, portions of soil, from all over the world, right? All over the world. And that was brought together to make Adam alayhi salam. That's why then from Adam alayhi salam comes Nuh alayhi salam. From Nuh alayhi salam comes his three sons. And from his three sons, you've got the Sudan, the Sud, you've got the Habash, you've got the Aryans, you've got you know, the Caucasians, you've got the Asians. And they come from the three sons. We're all from the same. All from the earth at the end of the day. Allah said we've ennobled all human race as compared to all other forms of creation of Allah. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu uh, you should recite, uh, said the tafsir of Surah Al-Hujurat. Surah Al-Hujurat is in the 26th juz. It's also called Surah Al-Akhlaqi Wal-Adab. It's also about etiquette. And after the first section, which is more about etiquette towards the Prophet ﷺ, it then starts off with harmony between brothers. Right? Believers are all brothers. Right? Humanity is all brothers at the end of the day. Thereafter that, in order to explain where brotherhood could be shattered, where people could conflict with one another, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, I don't know, several rules, several etiquettes, several points. He starts off with saying, Ya you alladina amanu la yaskhar qawmun min qawmin asa an yakunu khayram minhum. A group of you should not mock, belittle another group. Maybe the other group is actually superior to you in some sense, whatever sense that is. So no men should do this to others and no women should do this to others. Thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions other ways where disharmony is created. Allah says, اِجْتَنِبُوا كَثِيرًا مِّنَ Avoid huge amounts of uh, speculation, jumping to conclusions, false accusations, just opinions without any reality. But then Allah also says that وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا Don't go and spy. Don't try to inquire about the reality things of things if it doesn't affect you or harm you. And then Allah says, do not backbite. Then for backbiting, Allah mentions 
several reasons why backbiting is so bad. He says that it's like you, it's like you are eating your brother's flesh who is dead. Right? And, and so on. It's well worth reading. Then finally, all of those rules end with saying the other verse that I recited at the beginning, Ya ayyuhan nasu, O people who believe, we created you from a male and a female. All of you are created except Isa salam and Adam salam. But, وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلٍ We made you into tribes and clans. So yes, we've made you different. You'll have different languages, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different uh, food traits, maybe even different behavioral strains, um, and, and so on. Why though? Why did we make you like that? Why didn't we just make you all the same coming off a Mercedes E-Class plant? You're all E-Class. Right. Well, even in the E class, you have, you know, different amount. You know, you have you have differences in there. You know, with the leather seats and so on. Everything is different. Allah created everybody individually, including the fingerprint. You are different down to your fingerprint. But that should not be. That then Allah clarifies that lita'arafu, so that you can gain a recognition with one another. When I know that the brother that I'm dealing with is from a country, right? An Arab country that do not eat hot food. And I've invited him to my house. If I know what it is, right, and he's told me who he is, I can maybe make my food conducive to that. I can maybe welcome him in a way that's suitable for him. Because, you know, if I, if I go somewhere and they welcome me, right, in a way that I can see they've tried to understand who I am, I'm going to feel much better. Right? Because imagine you're trying to feed somebody who can't eat hot food and you've created, cooked all of this beautiful food and they can't eat it. You can imagine what that's going to be, right? So there's always a reason. I, I remember once I was in Medina Munawwara and there was a grocery store shopkeeper there and I was just wondering where he's from. So I asked him, where are you from? He said, I'm a Muslim. You know, these general answers where people try to avoid because, I don't know, maybe everybody asks him the questions. He was just... So I said, okay, are you from this country, that country, you know? And, and then finally he said, Mauritania. Now, I've been to Mauritania and they've got a certain way they greet people. So I started saying all of these things, the way Mauritanians greet one another, right? You know, and all of that. And suddenly his face just, you know... Uh, a smile broke out And he told me You know uh, th th what, I was, what I was trying to buy He said take it for free Because you connect with people that way Differences are so you can learn from one another Traits of one another And you can connect with them You can accommodate them uh, and, and so on and so forth Right I, I mean we have a very short amount of time That's why just the last thing I want to mention to you Is the story of Bilal radiallahu anhu now what's amazing about Bilal radiallahu anhu's story is that you know the suffering that he went through. He suffered hugely. But mashallah, his iman, the amount of suffering, I don't know if there's any, you know, Khabbab radiallahu anhu, others, Sumayya radiallahu anhu, they, were, they all suffered. But the suffering of Bilal radiallahu anhu is just different. Right? It's, it's marked as different. And him still, ahad, 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 because his master who owned him as a slave, and what reward Abu Bakr is going to get for freeing him, right? Used to put him on those hot sands and stones until I don't know what flesh was left on his back after that.
Anyway, he is freed. He becomes a Muslim. Right? He, well, he becomes a Muslim and eventually his, his freedom is bought. He's in Makkah. MashaAllah, can you imagine the two Mu'addins, the two famous Mu'addins of, of Medina Munawwara, of the prophetic city, of the Prophet's Masjid. One was blind. Abdullah ibn Ubim Makum was blind. And the other one is Bilal radiallahu who's black. And there were not many black people, just a few, Wahshi and a few other people. Very few. On your hands you can count them. And people used to look down upon them. Right? So, Bilal radiallahu is in charge of the Tahajjud Adhan. Like an hour or so before Fajr. And then Abdullah ibn Maktoum, who's blind Sahabi, he's disabled. He is in charge of the Fajr Adhan because he couldn't make a mistake. Because people are saying, look, hurry up, give the Adhan. It's already dawn, right? Those were the two Mu'addins. Now, it's, the, it's the, the final, you know, it's getting towards the final years of the Prophet life, right? Obviously, they don't know that yet. But they enter into Makkah, the place where Bilal Adin was aggressed and where there's still inherent racism against black people and prior slaves, right? Still look on them as slaves. I think one of the reasons why Wahshi actually became a Muslim afterwards, Bilal had become a Muslim. He tried to tell Wahshi to become a Muslim, but he refused. Then he said, when, I'm, when I become a free person, so he became free because he killed the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ with his spear, Hamza radiallahu anha, uh, 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 anhu, for, the sake, for Hind. And then he was given his freedom. And then he felt he could actually join with them, you know, with the free people of Quraysh, and he still felt a discrimination. That's when he realized that he was wrong. It's only Islam that would give it to you. So he became Muslim. Right? Long story. But Bilal radiallahu anhu comes into, uh, sorry, the Prophet rides into Makkah Mukarramah. He enters in, from a particular way, goes up to the Kaaba, and you know who's with him? With him is Bilal radiallahu anhu. And with him is, I think, Uthman ibn Talha, who's the key, he's the one with the keys. He's the Banu Shayba, now they're called. Right? In those days, they were called something. They, they were disbelievers. His family were disbelievers. His mom refused to give the key when the Prophet asked him to bring it. I think he was a Muslim. Right? But his, his mother refused to give it. That, no, we're not going to give it to them. She's still a non-Muslim. But then he, he insisted she give it to him, and then they went into... Now, they thought that he's going to take the keys away. But after they came out, the only people that went in, as far as I remember, was the Prophet ﷺ, Bilal radiallahu anhu, and Uthman. Not Uthman, our Uthman ibn... Uh, not the third Khalif, ibn Affan. This is Uthman ibn Tal because with the keys. And they shut the door. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? This was the first time they were entering into Kaaba. You know, the, they're entering into Masjid al-Haram, then entering into Kaaba. What an honor. Who gets it? Bilal radiallahu Why does he get it? Wallahu alam. Maybe the Prophet sallallahu is paying him back for in the same place being persecuted. You see, for all the others, they had families in Makkah Mukarramah or Medina Munawwara. The Ansar were safe in Medina Munawwara. But the Meccans, the Muhajireen, they were from the tribes. They had some connection with the other. Bilal Adin was a foreigner. He was a slave on top of that. So he's chosen as a Mu'addin there in Medina Munawwara for all those years. Here he's allowed to go into the Kaaba. 
Thereafter, it became Salat time. So when he comes out, people started asking, did the Prophet ﷺ pray? How did he pray? Where did he stand? Because it says that Bilal stood behind him when they prayed inside the Kaaba. And that's when they discovered all of the idols that were still in the Kaaba, inside, and they were going to get rid of them. Thereafter that, Allah, Allahu Akbar. Salat time. Fahanati Salat. Salat time comes. And you know what? The Prophet ﷺ instructs Bilal to climb on top of the Kaaba. Remember, they would not climb on top of the Kaaba. This was not a thing they would do. But they needed an elevated place. And remember, there's no masjid in that day around. There's no building around. It was just houses. And this was a clearing in the middle. And the Kaaba was in the middle. That was the only building there. The mataf was around it. And then the people's houses began. There was no masjid like the way we had it to have it today. So he told Bilal to climb up. He climbed up and started giving adhan. Now you have to remember this. Abu Sufyan, chief of Makkah, master of slaves and so on. Attab ibn Asid, Harith ibn Hisham, the daughter of Abu Jahl. They're all sitting there. You know, they've been given safety, if you remember, they've been given safety, right? The Prophet ﷺ has said, Antumutulaka and so on. You know, all of that is done. Now it's time for salat. He's clearing out, and the salat time happens. He starts giving the adhan, Bilal radiallahu anhu. These people who are not Muslim yet, right? Attab says, Lakad akram Allahu asidan an la yakuna sami'a hadha. Allah has honored my father that he didn't have to witness this day. He's a non Muslim. He's saying, Allah has honored my father that he's allowed him to die before he sees a slave, a black slave, climbing up on the Kaaba and giving the adhan. What is happening to the world? You can see the in, inherent, deep-rooted racism. They would have been probably fine if, a, you know, if one of the other Muslims had given it. That wouldn't have been so bad. It's not about that the Muslims are doing this. It's about the fact that Bilal is doing this. And the Prophet did exactly that. Right? He puts Bilal up there. So he's saying that honored my father so that he didn't have to listen to Harith says, you know, if I thought this was the truth, then I would have followed it. So he, he doesn't say something, you know, he, he doesn't want to make a bad judgment. Now Abu Sufyan, he's always been, he was an enemy, but he's always been careful, I think. That's why he got Islam afterwards. He says, He says, I'm not going to say anything. Because This is some, you know, I, I, I would love to look at the mind of Abu Sufyan, to be honest. Because he's got like this inherent belief, but he's not letting it, he did let it come out afterwards. And there's other instances from early on, which we don't have to, he says that, I'm not going to say anything, I'm not going to make any comment, because he says, if I do make a comment, even these stones, these pebbles will inform against me. He knew miracles happened with the Prophet ﷺ. Then finally, the Prophet ﷺ came out, and he said to them, I know exactly what you guys said. And then he mentioned to them what they had said. And Harith and Attab, they said, they ended up saying, Nashhadu annaka Rasulullah. We bear witness that you must be the messenger of Allah. There is no way that you could have known what we said. Because remember, there were no eavesdropping devices in those days. 
that okay, you've tapped us, you know, somehow, somewhere we've got a tap on us. No. There's no way you could have known out. Had you figured that out, that's it. This is how the Prophet dealt with it. Right? He gave these people special positions to show that we are equal. And there are numerous stories about this. There's another occasion where Abu Sufyan and Abbas, they've become Muslim now. And they're waiting to see the Prophet and there's others who are considered inferior to them from early days like Bilal and others who get to see the Prophet first. And he says, one of them remarks to the other that, have you seen what Islam has done? They're still, I mean, Abu Sufyan is still learning. So he says, seen what Islam has done to, you know, for us that these people are ahead of us. And Abbas said, well, they deserve it because they, were, they became Muslim first. This is what Islam is supposed to do for us. And I said, let me, let me end this discussion. Simple point, simple point, is that majority of us listening to this are going to think we're not racist. But think to yourself, have you made a joke before, a racist joke before, thinking it's innocent? Do you actually feel, do you stereotype other people? Even if you believe it's correct according to some, do you stereotype all of them? Think about that. And let us purify ourselves because we will be healthier in the sight of Allah healthier in the, in the hereafter, and we will not assist in the perpetration of what will become eventually institutional racism. That will help. That's our doing our little part. We can't change the police force. We can do a bit of protest. We can write letters, but we need to change ourselves first. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to change us, really focus on Suratul Hujurat in the 26th Juz, and ponder over the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then said, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says at the end of it, after he said, لِتَعَارَفُوا إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ That the most noble among you in the sight of Allah is the one who's going to have the greatest level of God-fearingness of taqwa. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to attain true God-fearingness, to respect people. And for that, the one thing I've noticed, especially with converts, black converts, white converts, converts from other places, is when they come into our masjids, they feel they're not welcome. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ which says that if there are two people, three pe uh, if there are three people, two of them should not whisper to one another because it will aggravate the third person. He thinks that they're talking about him. Now, while we may not whisper, me and somebody might speak in Urdu or Arabic and the person can't understand. That would be the same thing. We may sleep in, speak in Tamil, we may speak in, you know, uh, whatever, Amiya, whatever it is. So, likewise, you have groups of people in an Arab masjid speaking in Arabic and they don't, like, even acknowledge the, the newcomer. This happens especially in big city masjids because we get so many people coming in, we just lose sight of them. Whereas in smaller places where we get inquisitive sometimes, right? Likewise, people are just speaking Urdu and the other person. It doesn't mean that you must hold a conversation with them, but at least acknowledge them, make them feel comfortable. That's all we're saying. And if you think that the way you do it, you should think that um, the way I'm doing it, is it going to feel, you know, are, are they going to be impacted by that in a negative way? So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance. We ask Allah for help. We ask Allah that people, un, uh, that people get to understand this in places like America and uh, Myanmar and all the other places in the world. And they do not do this form of racism. But we have to start at home. وَآخِرُ الدَّعْوَانَا أَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ